For every year in the past like 10 years, for a decade now, we've been doing the sermon series. Y'all know that for, the, for every year in the past 10 years, we have taken, y'all, we have taken the church along on our annual summer road trip. And we've been to some amazing places. We've been to some really cool, some really fun places along the way. And this year, our summer road trip, it, it took us to, to beautiful, nameless Texas. And, uh, and we've been kind of using that as a springboard. We've been using that really kind of ironic name as a springboard to, to let us really dive into, let us really study some of those incredible nameless characters that we see in the Bible. And, and while we were there, while we were in Nameless, we, we had to go and see the Nameless school. And I mean that as literally as possible. I mean, like, we had to go see the school because there's not much else there in, in Nameless. Uh, we went to this school built in 1909 for generations. It educated young women and young men, not, not just with, like, book learning, but life learning, with, with soul learning. And as we stood there, as we stood there in that field, we started to talk, we started to share about, about all of those nameless teachers, all of those, those nameless people in nameless places in our lives, those folks that had, that had such a part in shaping us and forming us and stretching us. I mean, I'm standing here indebted to so many of them. I stand here indebted to the, to the single mother who taught me so much about hope. I stand here indebted to the grieving father who taught me, who taught me an awful lot about joy. I stand here indebted to so many people, folks through whom I learned and folks through whom I did the even harder job of unlearning. The people who taught us, the people who showed us what really counts, the, the things that really matter in, in life and in the life of faith. And that's exactly what we're going to continue to see as we dive back into the Bible this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. We're going to see yet another nameless but powerful person just come to life, someone that the Lord commends to us. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be back in the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. Maybe you have a Bible app on a cell phone or a tablet with you this morning. Go ahead, turn it on. I hope maybe all of us by now have the, the WC Life app. Go ahead and turn it on. Again, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 21, and, uh, and we're going to be reading the, 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 first several, uh, the first several verses of Luke 21. Um, friends, hear the word of the Lord. Luke writes, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their, putting their gifts into the treasury, and he also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their, their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? The, the great temple in Jerusalem, acclaimed the world over as one of the most magnificent, as one of the most impressive buildings ever built. I mean, it was magnificent. It was massive. It was ornate, beautiful. It was bedazzled with silver and with gold and, and with jewels. In fact, if we were just to read one verse on it, if we were just to read one more verse from where we stopped, we would actually see, we would see the disciples standing there. 
The disciples standing in the temple. We'd see the disciples standing there, stand, standing in, in awe. But that's, that's not what impressed Jesus. Because he was there too. Jesus was right there. Jesus was right there standing right outside the, the temple treasury, and he was just, Jesus was just watching. Because it was, it was getting to be, it was getting really close to the time of, of Passover. So the city of Jerusalem would have been filled, the, the streets would have been filled, the temple itself would have been filled. It was getting near the Passover, and so everything would have been cram-packed with people from all over coming to bring their sacrifices. It would have been jam-packed from people coming from all over to bring their, their, their offerings, to bring their, their silver and their gold to the temple. And in walks this poor widow woman. She's coming to bring her offering too. This poor woman who, who has no silver, woman who, who has no gold, this, this woman who comes without even so much as a name, she comes bringing her offering. But it's an offering though, it's not an offering of, of just what she can afford to give, no. It's an offering of everything that she has to give. All that she has to live on, Jesus would say. It is the sum total of her life savings. Just two small copper coins, just two little mites. It was the, the smallest coin in circulation in the Jewish world at the time. Each of them, each of them worth, less, worth less than a penny. Now I know, I, I know we don't really talk about pennies that much anymore these days. But did you know, according to the U.S. Mint, it cost three cents to make one penny? It's crazy. That was this woman's offering. That was this nameless woman's offering. Added together, just, just a couple of pennies, just, just a couple of cents. And the Lord stood amazed. He was amazed. By it. He was amazed by her offering. He was amazed. He was amazed not because of its size but because of its sacrifice. He was amazed not because of its size, but because of its spirit. You see, everyone else, everyone else, all of these other people, they had given out of their abundance. They, they had just given, they had given from their leftovers. But this woman from her poverty, she'd given the main course, everything. And, uh, and this is the thing that struck me. This week, this is the thing, I, I don't know that I'd ever really thought about it before. Here's the thing that sucker punched me this week. The plain fact that this poor, nameless widow woman, it's the plain fact that she could have, she could have only given one. This woman could have only given one of her little copper coins. She could have just given one. I mean, it still would have been half of her net worth. She could have given one and it still would have been a sacrifice. She could have given one, and it still would have been extravagant, but not to her. Not to her, it, it wouldn't have been enough. It's the story of one woman, one widow woman. It's the story of one nameless woman who goes out of her way to show us, to teach us about the real cost, about the real economy of faith. And uh, this past week, our, our younger boy 
uh, Ford. Um, Ford spent his week last week working on college applications. He spent the whole week filling out college, college applications, working on essays, and I have no idea how we've gotten here. I, I can't believe that he's old enough for us to be crossing this bridge right now, but, but he is. And one of the schools on his list is the University of Tennessee. And, um, and hearing that, it got me to thinking, it got me to remembering this story, this really awesome story that was going around about four years ago. I'm sure, I'm sure some of y'all remember, will remember it. About four years ago, there was this young boy, he was a, a fourth grader over in Florida. This kid, he loved the University of Tennessee, loved the volunteers. And so he, he wanted to show off his volunteer pride at his elementary school's college day that was coming up at the, at, at the end of, of the week. But here was the problem. He didn't have a, a Tennessee shirt of his very own. And so he, he took the matters into his own hands. He, he went home and he, he grabbed some paper and he just sat there and he drew, he, he designed his own little UT. He drew, it was their UT, not our UT. Um, but he made his own shirt, this, this, this University of Tennessee shirt, and he got some pins and he pinned his design onto an, an old orange shirt that he already had. And at the end of the week, he went to school and he was so proud. He was so, so, so eager to show off his handiwork. But when he, whenever he got to school, a bunch of the other kids, a bunch of the other boys made fun of him. Made fun of him, they made fun of his, his homemade shirt. And these kids, they weren't even participating in college day, but still, still they made fun of him. They picked on him. And the boy was devastated. He was embarrassed, he was humiliated. And so he ran to his fourth grade, his fourth grade classroom, put his head on his desk, and he began to cry. But uh, that little fourth grader had an amazing fourth grade teacher. And that afternoon after, after classes had let out, she went to the store and she got this young man, she got him his very own University of Tennessee shirt. Um, and it could have stopped there, still, it would be a good story if it just stopped there, but it doesn't. Because for her, just one shirt, that, that wouldn't have been enough. So she reached out and she asked some of her friends, she wanted to know if anyone had any connections back up in Knoxville. And of course, as, as you could assume, the, it didn't take too long for the story to start making the rounds. And uh, sure enough, a couple days later, the administration, the folks from the University of Tennessee actually reached out to this boy. They wanted to send him this big box. They wanted to send him this, this big care package uh, of Tennessee swag. And the kid was just beside himself, excited. And again, we could stop the story there and it'd be great, but it doesn't. The story goes on because for them, it wouldn't have been enough. The administration decided that they actually wanted to take that young man's design and they wanted to turn it into an official t-shirt of the University of Tennessee. They were going to take that shirt, they would sell it online, they would sell it in their bookstores, and they were going to take all of the proceeds and they would give all the proceeds to an anti-bullying organization. Um, I checked just a couple of days ago, want to know something? That young man's shirt is still, to this day, four years later, it's still their number one selling shirt, this young man's design. They've sold over 100,000 units of his shirt, leading to a donation of nearly $1 million to that charity. And again, we could stop it right there and it'd be a great story, but it's not enough. Because sometimes later, for as, as awesome as that was four years ago, sometimes later, the, the University of Tennessee reached out to this young man and they, they told him that, that if after he graduates from high school, if he makes the grades, if he can get in, if he makes his application, and if he can get into the unit of Tennessee, University of Tennessee, they've got a scholarship waiting for him. 
They've got a full ride, all tuition, all fees covered scholarship waiting just for him. And that all happened, that only happened because one person, one nameless person went beyond themselves. Because one nameless person did all that she could do. She gave all that she could give. Her time, her attention, her care, her concern. No, she she couldn't do it all. She couldn't do everything. But she did do everything that she could do. So I I guess the question for us this morning then is, will we? I've told Todd, that is not fair. All morning long, he's told a story that makes me cry. (laughs) And I get up and have to follow that. But I love that story, and I love the example of that teacher. And teachers all around us who do that, who go beyond to point the way that we should live a life of faith, that teach us in a real way what we learn from that widow's might that Jesus lifted up as the example of faithfulness. So I want us to think back to that widow because I think there are two things that she teaches us that all of us need to learn. And the first one is this, the power of one. The power of one. Shauna has a saying that she says to the choir so often, and that is she says, let's go out and change the world. And every time we hear that, how do we change the world? And I think we know the answer, one life at a time. That's how we change the world, one person at a time. It's a story of Scripture. Jesus used this one widow and her faithfulness to show us how to respond to God's love and how we are called to give with generosity. Look back, God laid his hand on one man, Noah, to save humanity from a catastrophic flood. God reached out to one man named Abram and said, I'm calling you to found a new nation of faith and I'm going to send you to the land I provided for you. And God reached out and spoke to one man named Moses and said, lead my children out of bondage in Israel. And God reached down and sent his son as a man to usher in a new kingdom of God to show us how to live forever in right relationship with him. And then God raised up a man named Paul and sent him to the Gentiles to be a missionary to open up this fledgling church to all the world. You see, every great movement in history starts with one person hearing the call of God and acting on the call of God, the power of one that we need to always know. Last week's sermon was on the nameless cemetery. And during the week, Todd and I received a note that just touched me so much that gets at the heart of this. Let me share with you the note we received. A person wrote and said, my second great-grandfather, Andrew Winston Myers, is buried at the Nameless Cemetery. Andrew passed away in 1889 from pneumonia at the young age of 33, leaving behind his wife, six living children, and a baby on the way. Family lore states that he became ill and contracted pneumonia after caring for a sick neighbor. Andrew's wife remarried his widowed brother and did not remain in Nameless, so he's the only family member buried there. Despite being buried alone in Nameless, I know his name well because the baby on the way was my great-grandfather and his namesake, Andrew Winston Myers, Jr., 
My grandfather, Andrew Winston Myers III, was also named after him. In addition to his name, my grandfather continued Andrew's sacrificial commitment to loving his neighbors during World War II. He also helped charter and construct the original First Baptist Church of Willow Park, Texas, participating in my grandparents' work of planting that little church in Parker County. And it contributed to my own spiritual formation. Your sermon on Sunday reminded me again of God's great provision for me through those family members and renewed my commitment to continue their legacy of loving my neighbors. After their example, I completed seminary last May and recently launched my own fledgling ministry whose mission is to amplify women's stories of faith, especially the ones unnamed. Through all these connections, both named and nameless, the Lord used your road trip sermon to encourage me personally to press on to my calling. That wonderful one man who was a good neighbor who cared for a sick neighbor with pneumonia and became ill and died at the age of 33 in 1889, the only person in his family buried in that cemetery. And yet through his name, and through his legacy, good and kindness was unleashed that have impacted this world in ways we can't imagine and does so to this day. It's the way it works in God's kingdom. We never know what all will happen when one person will be faithful and be all in for the Lord like this widow's might. The power of one. And I'm thinking also, as Todd shared, got me thinking about teachers. And I just want to say a word to our teachers and educators. You are so important. The influence that you have, the difference that you can make, you never know how you will touch a life in ways that the world will be different because of you. I was thinking back to some of the teachers that changed my life. And the first one I think about is the most unlikely, and that was my typing teacher, Mrs. Nell Bison. I don't know how many people have been uh, changed by their typing teacher. But Ms. Bice, I was not a very good typist. And she was encouraging and positive, really taught me to type pretty well. But she's also the first person that saw something in me. Even when I was a young sophomore, I think she sensed that God might be calling me into the ministry. And so she started talking to me about that. Mrs. Bice was a very devout Southern Baptist. And during that year, she had her pastor, a Baptist pastor named Billy Pierce, come to visit with me about ministry as a vocation and what that life would look like, planting seeds. And Ms. Bice had a saying I heard her say to me several times through the years. She said, John Eric, if you were a Baptist, we would make you a preacher. (laughs) And I just remembered that, what she saw in me and what she shared with me. And then I remember another professor I had in college named Mrs. Willa D. Sewell. Now, Mrs. Sewell was a Seventh-day Adventist, and I would have never gotten to know her except she was my professor in cost accounting. Now, for those of you that don't know, cost accounting is hard. And even for accounting majors, that sometimes gets you to change your major. And I was struggling, and I realized there was no way I was going to pass cost accounting, so I need to get to know my professor. So I went to her for help, and for guidance, and again, through visiting through the years, we became friends, and I had her for several classes, and I remember as I was graduating, I went to see Miss Sewell and said, Miss Sewell, I'm not sure what to do with my life. 
I don't know whether to chase a career in accounting or whether to go to law school or I, I keep thinking God may be calling me in the ministry. And she said something so profound. She said, John, she said, you don't need to worry about the call to ministry of, of doing the wrong thing with that. You follow the business trail. You follow law school or the business career and you try to do the best you can and try to find happiness there because she said, if God is calling you into the ministry, he's not going to let you go. He will never leave you alone. He will stay after you. You will never find happiness or peace and joy in any career until you surrender to his will. And she was right. And that gave me such comfort at that time, trying to sort out what to do. And I say that because these are teachers that influenced me. Think about them, some teachers and coaches and mentors and guides that God placed in our path that made a difference, and we need to be thankful for them. But we also need to know, and I am convinced, every one of us is called to be that same kind of guide. Every one of us, God is going to place one person in our past that we're supposed to reach, we're supposed to touch, we're supposed to bless, we're supposed to make a difference. Are we tuned in? Are we aware that the Holy Spirit wants to use each one of us? Remember the power of one. How do we change the world? One life, one person at a time. But then secondly, remember the power of two. And Todd shared that, and I had never thought of it before, and it's so profound. Look back at that widow. She could have easily just given one of those little pennies, and that would have been half of what she had. That would have been remarkable, but she didn't. She gave two. She gave all because she was all in. She was passionate. She didn't hold anything back. She gave everything she had to God, and Jesus marveled, and I love again verse 4. He was looking at everybody else's gift and said they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live in live on. She was all in. She gave her best to God. Again, I wonder about us. I remember the Apostle Paul said that living the Christian life is like running a race, that literally we are running a race for Jesus. And in that race, there are four kind of participants that we need to be aware of. And those first participants are the runners. Those that are there, they're all in for Jesus. They run their best. They are sold out. They just love what they do because that's the, the glory of their life is living the Christian faith. And this church is filled with these kind of runners. They teach Sunday school and they go on mission trips and they're in the choir and they're in the orchestra and they make burritos and, and, and they're in the dirty dozen uh, helping repair and help people and they go to the mobile food pantry and they're just serving people all around our community and all around the world. They are sold out for Jesus. They serve because they love it and their meaning and their joy comes through running the race of faith that they have been given to run. The runners seem to know that the goal of life is to come to the end and to be able to look back at our life and affirm what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Remember what Paul said? To look back at our lives and to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those are the runners who live by that creed. Okay, second participants are the joggers. 
They run while somebody's watching them. And then they slack off. They're kind of hit and miss. They have spurts of effort and then spurts where they just kind of back off. And the joggers are always worried, who's watching me? What do they think about me? They're more concerned about others than about what Jesus thinks about us. Those are the joggers. And then they're the walkers in the Christian faith. The walkers' motto is, please, would you slow down? You're making us look bad. <laughs> they want all of us just to go slow and keep doing the same things. Don't make anybody stand out. The walkers' mantra is, let's don't change anything. Let's do the same things. We want things to be the way they've always been. And then there's the nameless crowd. The nameless crowd have long since trying to run any race and they watch the runners run. Now think about it. We're all called to run the race for Jesus. Now here's the challenge. We all have different talents, different abilities. We shouldn't compare ourselves to anybody else. What matters is not what we give, but how do we give it? You know, sometimes we think, boy, if I could sing like Arnold Rawls, Boy, every day I would just walk through this world <laughs> singing and blessing the world. If I could play an instrument like these, like Colin there, boy, what a difference I would make in the kingdom if I could play like that. Or, you know, we, if I could be like the Dirty Dozen, I think, I wish I were handy. I can't build anything. I can't repair anything. They won't let me go on a mission trip except to hand out ice cream. <laughs> And we think if I only had those gifts, what I would do, it doesn't matter what gift we have. We all have something we can do. We all have a purpose in the kingdom, and our job is to do it with joy, saying, Lord, I'm all in. Look at that widow. She had two little pennies. And when she gave it with joy in her heart, all in, the Lord said, wow, look at her. We need to know, all of us, have a role. Do we run our race with passion and joy for Jesus? A great sports story has happened around us. And I don't know if you've seen, but if you hadn't, we need to pay attention. The University of Oklahoma has quite a remarkable softball team. They just won their third straight Women's World Series. They played against tremendous competition. They're a great team, and they have won 53 straight games. I don't know how they do that against the competition they face. They're an amazing group of athletes, and you wonder, what's the secret of their success over this period of time? They gave an interview after they won the World Series. They gave us a clue to their secret. Let's watch what they had to say. ESPN, for, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious, it's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that can very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, 
and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I. I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Isn't that amazing? What a testimony. They found the secret of success in life. They run their race for Jesus. They don't run to win softball games. They have found the true meaning and that's where the joy of life is found. The challenge is for us. Have we learned that lesson? Have we learned as we deal, run the race that God has given us with whatever talents we have to be all in, to not hold anything back, to be like the widow in our scripture, to give all that we have to run this race for Jesus? And when we do that, it will change us. It will change how we worship. It will change how we relate to our family, to our spouses, to our children. It will change the kind of friends we are. It will change the way that we play and the way that we laugh. It will change the way that we work and serve and do missions. With everything that is in us, Pastor Todd and I want to urge us, let's don't just be walkers in this game of faith, ambling along going from one thing to another without purpose, and let's certainly not be the nameless crowd that sits back and watches others and critiques and criticizes how the runners are doing it. Instead, I hope and pray that we will be fired up, that we will be passionate for the Lord, that we will live with love and with passion and love with passion and run our race for the Lord with passion because that's where the meaning and joy is found that we are chasing after. Remember the power of one and the power of two. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you've called us to follow just like that widow did so long ago. She understood the power of one. She understood that she could do just her best. And she didn't compare herself with others. She did the very best that she could, knowing that that's how you change the world one life at a time. And she understood the power of two to not hold back, to give all that she had. Lord, as we live our lives, may we live the same way. May we understand what our talent is, understand that person before us that we should reach and help us be all in for you, running the race that you have given us. Because that's, Lord, how we can, that we can find the life that you want us to live and how we can share the faith with a world that needs you so desperately. Send us out, Lord, to be your witnesses 
to be those who live and serve for you, drawing people to your side. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.